Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Hey, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning on sort of a rainy, overcast day. You might have felt like it would have been a good morning to stay in bed, but I'm glad that you chose to get up. I... I realized this morning as I was driving to church that um, I think I'm starting to fit like the the old cranky guy stereotype um, and, and I'm here's what I mean by that like the old guy thing and that like I was genuinely excited about the rain this morning I was like man we needed this you know I find myself more and more in in small talk conversations um, just going straight to the weather hey Garrett how are you it's hot out there you know, so I mean that old guy stereotype. And then the cranky part of me was like, well, I wonder how many people are going to stay in bed this morning and because of a little rain aren't going to come to church. So I just confess to you this morning my crankiness. Um, and if you're rolling your eyes or, or think it's silly that I call myself old, you're also cranky. And so invite me, let me into your club here. But I am glad that, that you all are, are here this morning. So my name is Garrett Richards. Um, I think we have a few visitors this morning. We're so happy you're here. I'm an elder here um, at Redemption's Hill, and uh, I'm happy to be able to preach this morning while Pastor TJ has been on vacation. I'm grateful uh, for, for Blake and Clayton the last couple weeks to, to step up and preach. And I shared with the worship team this morning, some of us that prayed, so grateful for this morning for our volunteers um, who troubleshoot uh, computer problems. Amber's been awesome, um, but that are just faithful. When I had a lot on my mind coming in this morning and there were already people, uh, Emma was already in the building setting up. I thought I was here like 10 minutes early. She was already setting up and, and there were people in the parking lot and it was just good for my heart uh, to know that, that there were here people here serving the body so that we could really focus um, on the word. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been having some microphone issues. I'm gonna give it about one more click and we're gonna we're gonna switch but um, I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning so we're gonna continue in our series um, on Romans uh, I was trying to remember just how long we've been in Romans and, and so it, it took some digging but we started with our first message in this year so back in January was when we started um, our Roman series so uh, if you're just visiting us I, I can't catch you up on on like six months of, of sermons 11 chapters or so of um, Romans but those podcasts are out there go go take a listen but we do want to kind of get a little bit of a grounding of where we're going in chapter 12 this morning so chapters 1 through 11 of Romans Paul who's the writer writing to the church in Rome really we, we went in depth um, showing the foundation that Paul was trying to lay of the idea and theology of salvation by grace alone, right? Week after week, it seemed like we heard message and we saw in Paul's writing talking about how in Christ alone, it's not our own works. There was no uh, hint of that in Paul's message. He was trying to make it clear to the church that it is through Jesus alone that salvation comes by grace alone. There's nothing that we do to deserve it or to earn it, right? So we're gonna move forward today and we have the last few weeks with that we're all under that understanding, that we've laid that out there. But it's important if you're just visiting us to, to keep that in front of you, that that has been a huge chunk of where we spent this year so far. But then what we see is starting in chapter 12, we kind of see a shift 
in Paul's writing. And that while he has shown us through the first 11 chapters that there is nothing that we do to deserve or earn our salvation, what we start to see in chapter 12 is there is something we are to do with that salvation. So it's this sort of call to action. Paul is showing us how the believer who has been truly transformed by this saving grace, how our lives become what he calls at the beginning of chapter 12, a living sacrifice, right? So this is kind of the what we do with this good gift that we've been given. So last week we saw kind of in Clayton's uh, message about how this plays out in the body of the bride, right? That is the church. And we talked a lot. He talked about Big C Church, you know, all Christians, but also Little C Church us here at Redemption's Hill. And we saw how the body has different parts and different duties and different responsibilities, but all are required or needed to participate in order to work as God designed. And he talked about the good gifts that we have and how we should use those to edify the body, to build up the church and our brothers and sisters. And so this week, Paul is going to show us how those who have freely received this saving grace, I'm going to keep hammering that in so we don't lose sight of it, that those who have received this saving grace are to live with one another in Christian community. How we engage with one another, how we do family and community is a big piece of what we're going to look at today. So let's start. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, and we'll put that on the screen for you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and breathing and gives us instruction, God, that it is a gift you have given us as of a good father of how to live out this amazing gift of grace that you have given us, Lord. May we see it as such this morning. May we hear and see what you would have for us, hear of your love, see your direction of how to love one another, God, and would you use it to sharpen us, to pursue righteousness, to love the body better, to love your creation better, Lord. Just be glorified this morning, Lord. I just ask that you would work, that you would make sense of my ramblings, God, and, and that you would just receive all glory and honor this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So if you're reading in the ESV, which is what we, we put on the screens here, the English Standard Version, your Bible may have this title section right above where we started in, in verse nine. And it, it probably says Mark's, of the true Christian, or of a true Christian. So that is, this is what a life that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ will look like, right? These will be some of the markers that spring from the life of one who has freely received the saving grace of Christ. And all of these that we're going to look at today are grounded in a foundation of true 
love. True love. Verse 9, right off the bat, Paul gives us three imperatives. Three imperatives here in this one verse that tell us what it means to live a life that is truly about love. These markers of the life of a Christian. And all three of these imperatives that we'll go through are all about truth. And they're be sincere, hate evil, and cling to good. And we'll, we'll expound on each a little bit. So let's start with that first imperative here in verse 9. Be sincere. First we are told that our love must be true to our hearts. Genuine is what Paul calls it, right? We're told that this love that we have must be true to our hearts, which we use a lot of weird language when we talk about love in our day and age, right? We spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of songs and a lot of books and a lot of things talking about it. But what this just means is that it has to be real, genuine, the real deal, not a hypocritical love, not we tell someone that you love them, proclaim that you love a certain person or people and don't actually do it, we have to mean it. And at times, we have to prove it, okay? So over the years here with Redemption, at Redemption's Hill, we've preached a lot of messages on love, about how our love, Christian love, is different from that of the world. Right? It's not a love that lasts just as long as it's convenient for me. It's, or as long as you benefit me in a certain way that you have my love. It's not a love that you have to continually earn or else I'll take my love somewhere else or, or to someone else. Right? That may be how the world loves, but that is not genuine love. That is not real love because... That's not how Jesus loves us. Praise God for that, right? Again, six months, 11 chapters, Paul has laid out before us. TJ, stop texting me. 11 chapters, Paul has laid out before us the amazing love that Christ has given us freely, right? We're going to sing, when we come back to worship, we're going to sing about this love, this overwhelming, never-ending love of God. Paul says that we can't fake it. We have to mean it. It has to be genuine. And this is a critical message for us, both as individual believers and then going back to Clayton's message last week as individual parts of the bride of Christ. It has to be real, right? Be nice to one another, it's not love. It's a good thing. You should do that too. But it isn't love. Being moral isn't love. Even being helpful isn't necessarily love. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful and we, we convince ourselves that, well, just being nice and being pleasant and, and helping out or pitching a little bit in the offering plate now and then, if we're not careful 
that, that we convince ourselves that those things are love, what happens is the church focuses on those things. And then we develop this facade or this kind of veneer of just like niceness, right? Where we are polite, we're helpful, we follow certain rules. We may look really warm and welcoming on the surface. But what happens then is when love is tested, when love requires more difficult, even grimy, hard work sometimes. If we're just this veneer, then what will happen is we'll be revealed to be a group full of gossip and prejudice and judgment. And this is how the enemy of Christ would like to paint his bride. This is how the world sees the church right now, right? Not just right now, like for a long time, full of hypocrites, right? That, that we're a hateful bunch. We, we say love, but, but we don't accept everybody's thoughts and, and who they are. And so somehow we're not that. And some of that title that we've earned, uh, that we've been given by the world, the, the church has earned, right? Because of this very thing. We've preached messages, we've hung banners, we've sung, sung songs about the love of Christ and when challenged and pushed, and love is kind of hard sometimes, we've maybe revealed ourselves that our love isn't as genuine as Paul tells us that it should be. The world paints us as a bunch of hypocrites who preach and proclaim love but are full of slander and hate. The kind of love that is genuine that Paul is calling us to isn't actually real love if it doesn't possess the other two imperatives that Paul lays out here right here at the beginning, right? So he's already said it has to be genuine, has to be real, you have to mean it. But it can't be that if it's not these other two imperatives which are to hate evil and cling to good. And this can be a little confusing, right? What's Paul telling us? How, Paul, how can genuine love require hate? Isn't that the opposite of love? Isn't hate the opposite of love? And here's what I think Paul would tell us, is that the genuine love that he's talking about, which marks the life of the rescued believer must be true to the will of God. Okay? Genuine love must be true to the will of God. This love that we are called to has to operate on the basis of God's moral order. Okay? And if we do that, then that means that we must hate, literally be horrified by what God calls evil. And we must cling to or literally glue ourselves inseparably to what God calls good. For love to be genuine, it has to align with the way God created things. This is such an important message for us to preach into our own souls today. I've needed to preach this to my own heart this week because the world we currently live in. Because the world doesn't agree with this. The world doesn't agree with these imperatives, but even more so, the reason we need to preach this to ourselves 
is because our own hearts can easily rebel from these imperatives if we don't watch out, right? Here's what I mean. Pop culture even gets it right. Pop culture tells us of the risks. Love wants what it wants. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. It can't be wrong if it feels so right, right? Our love songs actually speak a lot into the risks that we have. Often what happens is when we love someone, when we love another truly, our hearts are bound up in theirs and their feelings and their happiness and their desires can become what's most important to us. So their heart's desires become our heart's desires, right? And that may sound selfless and it may sound great, but here's the problem with that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? So while wanting your beloved to have their heart's desire sounds romantic and even selfless, it's really not. And it's really not loving because our hearts can be and often are wrong. Who can understand it? When you love someone, their distress becomes your distress. And their happiness becomes yours. So the temptation that we face then is to give your loved one whatever, cre- whatever creates emotional joy. Whatever makes them happy is what we want to give them, regardless of whether it aligns with the created moral order of God, whether in the long run, if in truth, whether it's good for them or not. And we see and we feel this in our relationships. We see and feel this in our friendships. Certainly we see this in our parenting. Right, the temptation to just give them what they want so that they'll get their heart's desire. But Paul is telling us that we cannot love rightly, genuinely, truly without hating rightly. Let's work on that a little more. We serve a creator God who designed our world and souls in a very specific way. So to disobey God's law or the way he designed us is always going to be bad for us. It's always bad for the beloved. Therefore, real love is concerned about truth, even over feelings, even over desires. Any love that is afraid to confront the beloved is not really love because it's not sincere. It's not genuine. It actually, what it does, it just reveals our own selfish desire to be loved ourselves. This selfish love is afraid to do what is right if it risks losing the beloved's affection. Well, what if, what if they get mad at me? What if they won't be my friend anymore? What if they will never forgive me and never talk to me again? What if they leave me? What if they break up with me? 
What if my kids leave the house and don't come and visit as much as I want? Right? This selfish love is afraid to do what is right if it risks losing the beloved's affection. It says, I'll do anything to keep him or her loving me. And this is not loving the person. It's loving the love that you get from that person. It's more about us in that moment than them. And we all feel it, right? None of us like this idea. But we want to love truly. So any love that cuts moral corners doesn't align with God's created order and truth that he gave us or fails to confront the beloved when they get off the rails of it is not really love at all. True, sincere love hates evil and clings to good. It is willing to confront and even, here's the scary part, even to lose the beloved in the short run if there is a chance of helping him or her. Real love is willing to risk the frequency of the phone calls or girls' night or how often the kids come over or whether they ever speak to you again. If speaking truth for the, their good, real love is willing to do that. So as we have talked about here over the years, Christian love is this kind of grimy, exhausting work of choosing, right? Here's where, here's where culture gets off, and we all have pieces of it built in our minds. We, we think at some point love should be easy, right? That it's like butterflies and, and warm fuzzies and staring into each other's eyes and, and just this, this warm embrace all the time, and, and it's just not. Like, I hope it's some of that for you. Like, that, those things are awesome. Like, I still get googly eyes with my wife, and, like, I love that. But it's not that all the time. I've got stuff to do. i got chores to do, you know? Real love is work. It's, it's choosing. It's willing ourselves to love those around us. Ahava is this love of wills, right? Even when those around us aren't, particularly lovable. We choose anyway. That's when the believer should remind themselves what Paul has already taught us in the first 11 chapters. That even this person seems really hard to love right now. God, I'm having a hard time loving this person. They seem unlovable to me at this moment. That's where we remind ourselves that even when we weren't lovable, when we weren't particularly attractive, Christ loved us. He came for us. He saved me at my worst. Grace freely given, not earned. And so if we show love to those who seem unlovable to us, and we probably need to repent as we're going through that, right? God, would you just forgive me for having a hard time loving this person right now? I'm so thankful that you're reminding me that how despicable I seemed to you. 
how unattractive I was to you and you pursued me and loved me anyway. I, I was way worse than what they seemed to me and you loved me, so help me love them, right? When we do that, we begin to see our love become more sincere as we go along. So while Paul gives us these three imperatives to the, to the Christian life and love, right here in verse nine, he's gonna continue through the rest of the text and spoiler alert, kind of even into next, week test, next week's text to show what love and truth will look like in the lives of those transformed by the Father's love. Let's, let's keep reading. Let's read verses 10 through 13 again. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, while we pointed out in verse 9, there are three imperatives there. Really, this continues. Like all of these are, are imperatives that Paul gives us through the, the remainder of today's text. And unfortunately, I, I don't think we can go through each one. So we're going to kind of group them into categories, right? Four categories. And I want to keep in front of us, if we read this, that we read this rightly, that this text, we have this tendency sometimes to, to think that everything's about us and to think that a text is about us. So it's easy to read, like, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation. That's not, that's not about us, and, and, and I'll show you what we mean. But, but let's break this into four categories, all of these on love. The first is this, real love is committed. Real love is committed. Some translations of the Bible say, read, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Paul is saying that we should love one another like family, like real family, as though we are related. And the family bond typically outweighs most things right? Even radical differences we may have with our families and our personality or our values or our lifestyle. Even if those, even if we feel like an outcast sometimes, we still love our blood family different. We still, we say things like, well, he's, but he's still my brother or she's still my daughter. And we're devoted differently because of that bond. So Paul says, do that with everyone, with the body, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them that way. And that is a challenge for us because, again, love can be a lot of work, right? My capacity for love, I focus on my wife and kids, right? And then there's maybe like tier B who they get like a little of the leftovers and, and C, I'll give you what I got and, and then gets weaker as we go, right? It can be hard. It can be a challenge for us to love everyone 
like family, especially because of the culture that we've been raised in, right? We've, we've come up in this individualistic culture that has sold to us and wants us to believe that the kind of Lone Ranger lifestyle is somehow cool and sexy and a sign of strength or confidence. And, and somehow it programs in us like, well, that just seems cool. That's what I wanted to be. To not have to rely on anybody and, and do my own thing. Love like this can be a challenge. When technology that we have has programmed us to desire to be alone in public, but then to never be alone in seclusion, it can be hard to love this way, but real love, committed love, sincere love will be present, committed to hearing and seeing the beloved. It's really to die to our own internal desire to escape to the places we think we'd rather be. I'm going to focus my attention on you. Anyone ever put your headphones on just so no one will talk to you? Just me? Right? Committed love is, is present. And it loves like family. And it puts them ahead of ourselves. And this leads us into our second category of love or imperative number five or however we're tracking it at this point. Okay, category number two. Real love puts others first. Paul says to honor one another above yourself. Paul says the same thing to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, In, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Right? And Clayton dabbled on this a little bit last week, talking about humility, but we want to make sure we have the right understanding. This is not, Paul's not saying to think of everyone else as better than you or that you're less than everyone else, all right? One of my favorite quotes on gospel humility comes from Tim Keller, and he says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? You don't think like, well, everybody's better than me. That's not what Paul is saying to honor one another above yourself. It's just taking yourself out of the equation. It's concerned and focused is on the beloved. So to honor here means that you treat someone or something as valuable and precious. Remember earlier when we talked about God's created moral order, right? If we're believers, then we understand that every human being is created in the image of God. Everyone. And we were designed to reflect God's image through our personality, creativity, rationality, and so on. So this means that each person that we meet is infinitely precious and important. And we should treat them that way. That's tough. That's a tough one, isn't it? That one hit me this week. Each person we meet is made in the image of God and precious and important. Category number three, imperative number six, whatever. Real love is patient. 
Verses 11 and 12 stand right in the middle of all of these directions and imperatives about Christian relationships, right? So what Paul is saying here is to use all of our spiritual resources. He's talking about zeal. To use all of our spiritual resources not to give up on our Christian brothers and sisters. The Christian life is certainly not without pain, without trials, but we are able to keep hope and be patient and address it all with prayer. Paul is saying, be, pres- be patient, pray. This is how we are called to, li- to love one another. To do life with others is to really invite pain and inconvenience. It's asking for it. After all, we're, pretty, we're all pretty messed up and difficult to love at different times. So it's hard work to be deeply involved with others. But zeal and hope of triumph through Christ will help us to prevail, to be patient in loving one another, keep loving through hard times. I told Quincy's in service today, I told him I wasn't going to tell any stories on him, but I am going to tell one, I've decided to tell one on Emmett. So my youngest son Emmett is six and he's just really creative and, and he's a storyteller but he tells stories at his own pace. And I think half the time he's making it up as he goes, like he's trying to decide. So I have to, at times, I catch myself all the time, I have to stop what I'm doing and just look at him while he's talking. Like my mind is having a hard time seeing where you're going with this story, so let me focus in, right? And I try to be patient, I don't want to, I don't want to discourage him from, from who he's becoming and say, hey, you're not, you're not telling the story fast enough. My, my attention is not yours anymore, right? But it's, it takes patience, and we have to do that with one another, with your brothers and sisters who you're walking alongside and you're living in community with, and, and you feel like, man, they keep asking me to pray for the same thing that they keep doing, right? We keep loving them, and we speak truth, and we hate evil, but we have to be patient with them. We have to be patient and keep loving them through hard times and remind ourselves that Christ is patient with us, thank God. And he's patient with us through hard times, praise God. We're to reflect that love to those around us. And the last category, real love combines feelings with action. Combines feeling with action. We the, the text says we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. And we share our physical blessings through hospitality. And all of these, each of these can be particularly tough if we get our eyes off of Jesus. None of this love that we're talking about today is natural to us. You cannot do it. You won't. You don't want to. I don't want to. You won't if you get your eyes off of Jesus. To rejoice because something good happened to someone else is just not in our nature, typically. Right? 
Oh, you got a, another promotion, another raise? Dude, that's amazing. I've eaten ramen every day this week. Right? We think about what we don't have. It's just not in our nature. And it's especially difficult because as we've seen, real love, we have to be genuine. We have to really mean it. So to connect our, or to connect others rejoicing or suffering, to connect with that is to connect it with our own joys and our own sorrows. And this is work. It takes action. It takes work. Paul says we have to practice love because the love that we are talking about is a love of action. To love like Jesus means we have to make sacrifices to our own emotions, our own actions, and even our own rights. So this kind of love means that you give someone both the truth, which they may not want, and the help that they need. Paul says these are markers. This is what love will look like if we've been transformed, if we really have received the love that was given to us. We'll want to share that to others, and here's how we do that. So I want to make sure as, as we start to kind of land the plane today that we aren't somehow letting a theology of works creep into our minds. Right? Being called to action isn't advocating for a salvation by works. Paul's not undoing everything that he just did. On the contrary, the love we've covered today has to flow out of the theology of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And to help ground our hearts in that, to be sure, I, I thought it might be helpful for us to end with this today, with the Sermon on the Mount. Right? In Matthew, Jesus himself gives this sermon. And he gives us what are known as the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, the Marks of a good life lived for Christ. The marks of a Christian. Same thing we're talking about today. And as we read it, it may even sound familiar to today's instructions. Matthew 5, I'm just going to read straight through it. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. These are Jesus' words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's zeal. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. That's patience. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's hating evil, clinging to good. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For those is the kingdom of heaven. And to speak into our fear of loving in hard ways sometimes. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Band, you guys can come back. We are called to love like Christ. That's how we know that we have been transformed by this good news that we have. We are called to be set apart, to look different than the world. This message today, Paul's writing is to the believer in Rome, to the church. And so this message for you, believer, this morning, I believe is a call to just inspect how are we loving. And our prayer before service this morning was that the Holy Spirit would work to maybe show us where we could pursue righteousness and obedience better. Maybe you've got the hospitality thing knocked out, right? Maybe that's your jam and you're doing great on that. That's awesome. Keep doing that. But is there another area where you're not loving those around you as well as you're instructed to? If I were to bet, I think all of us could probably pray and inspect how we are hating evil and clinging to good and calling others to that. Those are hard. So as we sing of this great love this morning, we're gonna sing three songs about the love that we have. I would just say to ask the Spirit to maybe show what, what he would have you do with this. Maybe you've been putting off a hard conversation. Maybe you've been putting off that conversation to say, brother, I love you, man. Like I value our friendship and this is really scary for me to tell you, but I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that these things that you're doing are not good for you. And I wouldn't be loving you rightly if I just ignored any longer. Maybe, maybe our prayer would be just, Spirit, give us the boldness and the courage to have that conversation. But weigh that as we worship today. And, and, and unbeliever, right? If you're here and you're an unbeliever and we're talking about this love and, and we're gonna sing about this love, if that interests you and sounds good to you, if that sounds like something that you want, I want you to hear this morning that that's the Holy Spirit in you urging you towards that. That is not any words that you heard here. That is nothing you read. That is only by the Holy Spirit. None of us cleaned ourselves up enough to receive the grace and the love that we're, that we're talking about this morning. None of us here did anything about it. None of us got it because we were raised in church or because we dress a certain way in church or because we vote a certain direction or because we have the right opinion on this thing. It is through Christ alone. And so if you want that love, it's yours. Just ask for it. Just say, God, thank you for stirring this in my heart. You gotta weigh some costs there. Because as we're seeing, we take this love that we're freely given and then we're called to action to love those around us. 
all right, within the church and outside the church. We are called to be set apart and to remind our hearts how he loved us. We're going to take communion this morning. So we've got the cups out um, in the entryway. If you didn't grab one on the way in, we're going to just let you take that throughout worship as you feel ready. That is open to, to anybody. You don't have to be a member here. We do ask that you just, that your faith would, would already be in Jesus, that you consider yourself a follower of Jesus to take that. Otherwise, it's not really, doesn't really mean anything for you. It's, it's not really good. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for instruction, God, that our hearts would want to, at times, just store up these amazing blessings that you have given us and hoard them and keep them for ourselves. And the Lord is a good father. You say, hey, these gifts are for all my body, all my children, and you, you tell us how to love those around us. When we're not sure what to do with this good news, your word that you gifted us instructs us, and we just thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the love that we're going to sing about. Lord, and I thank you for those that are here today to hear it, whether for the first time or whether just a good reminder. Lord, we just ask that you would work in us, be glorified in our singing, and fill this place with your presence that we may experience you in a new way. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and...